Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Hey there, you old listener you. It's time for another episode of the Triple Threat Theater Podcast. This is episode number 19, and my name is Ryan Miller. I'm Joe Dax, and I came to party. Uh, that's good, mm-hmm. because we've got a party ahead of us here. I sure do, Milzy. <laughs> the most upbeat topic of all time. Uh, yes. I'm very curious how this came about. I hope you remember. Well, I, I believe this subject was of my choosing. Oh, indeed. I'm sure one of these movies came to mind, and then I was just like, oh, there's definitely a way to pair some more things with this. So the subject that we're doing is dark comedy. Mm-hmm. This would be three films that are dark in nature, mm-hmm. but starring actors who are known for comedy, mm-hmm. primarily. Primarily. This probably came about because I was trying to find something to do with the movie One Hour Photo with Robin mm-hmm. Williams. Indeed. Uh, which is a movie I'll go ahead and spoil that I've always liked. It had been a long time since I'd watched it. Okay. But uh, one of those movies that I saw, it came out in 2002, I saw when I was in high school. And um, it's one of those movies I got on DVD and I just watched it like a whole bunch back in that like high school, college era. And at some point I must have gotten rid of my DVD, I no longer have it. And I hadn't seen it in many, many years, but wanted to revisit it. So so you rebought it on Blu-ray? <laughs> no, no. So yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know if uh, I was going to enjoy it enough to own it again because it had been so long since I'd seen it. But uh, we're going to be talking one hour photo. We're going to be talking the number twenty three with Jim Carrey, mm-hmm. and we're going to be talking Mr. Brooks, which he's not the lead, but starring Dane Cook. <laughs> right? Does anybody remember Dane Cook at this point? <laughs> I mean, sure. <laughs> Our people, you know. Yeah. I mean, we'll talk more about him when we get to oh, Mr. Brooks, but we sure will. <laughs> so yeah, uh I had seen all three of these before. Mm-hmm. Um how about yourself? I had only seen Mr. Brooks uh years ago, not in the theater or anything, just some random watch somewhere or another. I had always known about the other two. I feel like the number 23 I was just very aware of like the poster because it's like Jim Carrey's face, like mm-hmm. with like scribble scribbled twenty threes or whatever all over yep. his face. Actually, one hour photo, same kind of deal. I knew, you know, I could like recreate in a sketch what the poster looks like just because it's like kind of iconic. I don't know how that would have ever come up for me to ask you to do that without doing the show, but I wish that I had <laughs> uh, had the opportunity. I wish I could collect the Infinity Stones and go back in time (laughs) (laughs) and make you draw the one-hour photo poster apropos of nothing. God, that might be something we have to add into the show, I think. (laughs) Just be like, hey, Dex, how's it going? It's just me from the future. Don't mind this big golden glove that I'm wearing. (laughs) Um, Hey, 
draw me the poster for one hour photo. <laughs> but like, you know, at the end of the episode, whenever the next episode comes up, we'll be like, one of us will tell the other one they have to draw one of the posters. <laughs> See how close we get. Oh, that, uh, <clears throat> that, that would be fascinating. Um, doesn't really work for the audio portion of sure, the show, sure. but. You know, throw it up on the gram or something. <laughs> you know how we do. Yeah. So yeah, I was pretty. I was well aware of one hour photo. Never saw it. Just never. I don't think I ever even got close. Like never came across it anywhere. Or you know, never at like a friend's house watching movies or something. Just mm-hmm. kind of one of those ones that missed. I feel like I never. I shouldn't say. I just had like a feeling that that was like a well regarded movie. Maybe just for one moment. I'm not really sure. Uh, mm-hmm. The opposite of number 23, I'm pretty sure <laughs> I had heard that was uh, not a great one. Yeah, I um, I remember being excited for the number 23, um, and I remember being excited for Mr. Brooks. Saw both of those in the theater with your friend and mine, Brian, mm. Brian Weiner. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'll reserve my feelings on those for when we get to talking about them. But, um, yeah, I remember, I don't... I had a teacher in high school, like, uh, I feel like everybody probably has like that one teacher that, you know, they, they really liked or got along with. And then like that one teacher they really hated and like, you know, that one teacher that was like really cool. Um, the one teacher we had in my high school that was really cool, his name was Mr. Grimm and he just had like long hair he he gave off more the air of like a college professor who would like smoke weed with the students in between class or something and probably have an extramarital affair with one of his students. Uh, wow. But he like had long hair and like a beard. He didn't look like, you know, the typical teacher that we had, you know, out here in the sticks in the middle of nowhere in Maryland. And he played the guitar. So he would just like while we were working on stuff in class, he would just walk around strumming on a what? acoustic guitar. And, you know, he was very, like, jokey with the class and everything. And he would always talk about, like, the the stuff that he was doing on the weekends and everything. And he would talk about movies sometime. And it must have been because of him that I watched the movie. Because I remember him talking about it in class. Which seems like a really inappropriate movie to be talking about in a high school class. Mm -hmm. Considering some of the subject matter. But I think I might have watched it because of him. And uh, I have questions. And, like I say, liked the movie a lot and like had the DVD. What uh, what questions can I answer for you, Dax? What subject did he teach? Uh, English, uh, Englishy type of things. Like um, I, th- I well, I also took a uh, public speaking class from him or with him. But yeah, he definitely taught English. So let me let me just lay out the details here. Mm-hmm. High school teacher, long hair, beard, walked around class strumming a guitar. His name was Mr. Grimm. Mr. Grimm. Are you sure he wasn't the devil? I'm not sure. Like old scratch. Uh, I actually have on my iPod, and yes, I still have an iPod, <laughs> but uh, I have an album of his that he recorded, like acoustic songs. Yes. Like he's also the kind of guy I imagine would have gone to like cool coffee shops if any existed around here and like, you know, played acoustic sets. And it'll take a lot Half a me to call this home you better stop It's coming back around 
Pushed out by your tongue Without you now I'm still the same You've become a trace Here without you now I'm still the same Did he wear those circle glasses? No, no glasses. Mm. But uh, I also like one other random detail that I remember is one. Uh, and this was around 2002 was when the movie came out. So 2002, 2003, like my junior, senior year of high school. I remember him coming into class and telling us about the Crash Test Dummies concert he had been to over the weekend. What? What year was this? <laughs> Man. I was just going to say, you just described the most 90s person I've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's just a few years years removed, but. Yeah. Maybe somehow, somewhere he'll hear this, but uh, I don't know whatever happened to Mr. Oh, Grimm. We're searching him out off air for sure. <laughs> there must be like an ancient Facebook page for his music or something, but. I don't know. Check that at, out in our own time. He's down at the crossroads ready to play uh, against young guitar players. For their souls. <laughs> Maybe. Mr. Grimm. Mr. Grimm. Right. I mean, he was just the cool package at the time, I feel. Yeah, but. Sounds like it. Sounds <laughs> like a seductor of men and women, I'd say. Long hair, guitar, crash test dummies, you know. Man. Anyway. <laughs> um, no, no, I'm not done with Mr. Grimm yet. Okay, what else? No, what else do you I'm need just to go, do? I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Well, I mean, we're already kind of circling the one-hour photo mm. conversation here, and that's the first one we're going to be talking about. So do you want to dive in? I do. All right, so one-hour photo released in 2002. Hi, Sai. Hi there. I was just at the Dairy Queen. I saw you down here and thought I'd say hello. <laughs> I'm just grabbing some shopping fuel. I never see you away from the store. After all these years, you'd think we'd run into each other at some point. Why do you live around here? I live downtown. Oh. Well, that's quite a drive. No, I'm used to it. You have a nice boy there. Oh, Jake. <laughs> yeah. A little sensitive, maybe, but um, he likes you, Cy. Oh. He calls you Cy the photo guy. <laughs> you know, I've watched him grow since he was this big. That's right. We've been doing our pictures for a long time. You know, I almost feel like Uncle Si. <laughs> Directed by Mark Romanek, who couldn't have told you anything else he had done, but I definitely recognized the name, like knew that he was a director. The thing that I was surprised to find is that uh, he's only directed three films ever. Hit it. Uh, the first one is called Static, which I'd never heard of. Came out in 1985. Oof. And then his next film was One Hour Photo in 2002. Man. Like, what does someone do in between all that? I'll tell you what he does. Oh, please. Uh, someone who doesn't direct a movie between 1985 and 2002 directs music videos for the likes of... <gasps> Crash Test Dummies? 
Johnny Cash, Nine Inch Nails, The Red Hot Chili Peppers, Michael Jackson, Madonna, Fiona Apple, Taylor Swift, Beyonce, Jay-Z, En Vogue, Lenny Kravitz, Beck, Justin Timberlake, Coldplay, De La Soul, David Bowie, Iggy Pop, R.E.M., Sonic Youth, Weezer, Macy Gray, No Doubt, Linkin Park, U2, and more. That was impressive. <laughs> Not even just his discography, but you you reading it back. Wow. So yeah, he uh, he's directed a lot of music videos. Sound, yeah, sounds kind of prolific. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently a very well-known, well-respected music video director to have worked with all those people, and he's won a bunch of awards and things. All right. Well, I would, uh, I would say this fella's got a good eye for filmmaking. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed One Hour Photo quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed it as well on a rewatch. Um, it had been long enough that I didn't remember big parts of it, you know. Mm-hmm. So I didn't remember exactly where it goes and everything, but uh, give I the guess. people a quick synopsis, two sentences, two sentences, twenty-four uh, syllables. Oh God! I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll clap them out. Robin <laughs> Williams is. <clears throat> Robin Williams basically plays a lonely, single, middle-aged guy who works as a. Uh, he works at a like a one hour photo in like a Walmart kind of store called Save Mart. Doesn't really have any fr- uh, friends. Nobody really respects him, and he has become obsessed with this uh, family, uh, husband, wife, and son, uh, because the the wife al- is always bringing by their photos to get developed, and like he's kind of living this vicarious life through their photos, and then things get dark. Mm, very dark. Milsey. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Currently. Yep. How many undeveloped rolls of film do you have in your house? I don't think any. Uh, oh. I uh, when I when I was in high school during this time, you know, digital cameras were around, but they were a newfangled, expensive thing. Mm-hmm. Cameras hadn't quite gotten to the or phones hadn't quite gotten to the point where they had cameras in them yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I at all times had a disposable camera in my pocket. <laughs> Yes, you did. Ask yes. ask anybody ask anybody who knew me in high school, and like I can I can prove it. I got uh, I have a a milk crate filled with photo albums. I think I have fourteen photo no. albums filled with pictures, and most oh. of them are just bullshit pictures of my friends in the hallways of the school of my high school. Oh, but Mills, that's amazing. Yeah, like if someone just like bumped into you, like. Just happen to like see inside your trench coat, they'd see you had a like a yellow Kodak disposable. Oh, always had one on me. Millsy. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. Man, I learned something new every day. <laughs> I'm so glad I asked that question. <laughs> so yeah, I don't think I have any undeveloped ones. I'm uh, gonna make another pilgrimage to Maryland so I can <laughs> dig through your milk crate. One of those things I've long wanted to do, but I'll probably never get around to is like scanning them all. Um, just to have them online. Because one of those things, like, you know, every now and then somebody who I don't mind talking to from my high school days will, like, hit me up on Facebook. And, uh, you know, old pictures get posted and I get tagged in things. And I'm like, I have a ton of pictures that people would probably love to see from that era. But yeah, man, I just can't be fucking bothered because that's a lot of photos. That's a lot of work. Yeah. As much as you know, I'd be the one to be like, yes, you need to do that. I'm also like, (laughs) wow, it sounds like a lot of work. Maybe not. Yeah, whole lot of work. Jeez, but uh, God, that's fascinating. But, yeah, um, how how about yourself? Uh, I would have been sure that everyone listening 
in our age bracket has at least one, or like yourself, me, or like myself, I should say, like a shoebox full of like disposable cameras mm-hmm. and like old film. I used to have this, I've always considered myself an amateur photo taker. Mm-hmm. I just, same thing. I've always liked taking pictures. Not that it's like anything fancy pants or whatever, but I've always just liked to take pictures of friends of stuff. I, you know, I was big into cars when I was younger. So I used to car, go to car shows a lot, take tons of pictures. So I had this one camera. It was just a normal film camera, but I believe, I want to say it was called the film or the camera itself was called Advantix, mm-hmm. like TIX at the end. And it was weird because you it had like a selector where you could pick like normal photos or like a maybe even like a wide format and then like a panoramic, which you could mm. get printed as like, I have panoramic prints really, of photo photos. Prints? Yeah. And it was all on the same camera. So I've still even got a couple of those. I know wherever this currently the shoebox is, I know there's a few in there of that. So mm. it's just funny to think that this movie was made just right on the cusp of the technology oh, yeah. that the film is primarily about being completely For sure. like out of date and archaic. Because at this point, I mean, I bet you if you showed this movie to someone who's in high school now, it would just seem so bizarre the whole one hour photo concept just mm-hmm. like of like a photo mat place. Sure. And like the little speeches that um, Robin Williams, like the little narrations that he does throughout the movie about like, uh, you know, um, what's the first, what's the first thing that people save from a fire after like loved ones and pets, mm-hmm. the family photos. And he's talking about how important they are. And it's like the family photos are in the cloud now. Like, yeah. Or on your phone, which will probably be in your pocket as you're fleeing from the scene or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like, it's just, man, like, right, right at the wrong time this movie mm-hmm. came out to, to stay it, relevant. It's funny, too, when you say that as well, because I feel like nowadays, as easier as things is to take pictures and to store them and all that, I hear more stories now of people losing all their pictures than you did when, you know, 15 years ago when people used to print them out. Well, that's because in order to lose them 15 years ago, your house either had to get flooded or catch on fire. And nowadays, you know, like your computer goes down or you click a wrong button and then a picture's gone Mm -hmm. forever. I know. I just know so many people where it's been like, oh, I wish I printed those out because now they're gone forever. And it's like, you're 100% right. It's like very different times. Yeah. There was a magic in like dropping off your photos and coming back in an hour and having no idea what you're going to get, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So. Oh yeah, I, I mean, how many times did you take a picture and it was just like completely out, like not centered correctly, oh, or there's yeah. like oh, weird, fucked up shit in the film yeah. or whatever? And you spent a fortune getting them developed. Yeah, <laughs> oh. different times, man. Different yes, times. Yesteryear. But uh, the movie itself, I always loved Robin Williams's performance in this, and this was, you know, I saw this at a time when Robin Williams had done serious acting before. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't aware of it. So, like, at the time when I saw this, I thought that this was like, oh, my God, Robin Williams does a serious role. And I hadn't seen things like Awakenings and stuff like that, you know. I don't even know what that is. Uh, it's a it's a movie with Robert De Niro where, where uh, it's based on a true story. Robin Williams plays a doctor. I won't get into it, but it's really good. Okay. But, uh, like, I don't, I don't believe Insomnia had come out yet. Was this... Do you remember when Insomnia came uh, out? Because that was, was the like, other kind of serious movie that he was in around this time. That was like 0102. 
Yeah, so it would have been right around the same time, but um, you know, that's something that I probably need to rewatch because I remember really not liking Insomnia. I remember. I actually remember seeing that in the theater. Oh, 2002, same year. Yep. Him and Al Pacino. I um, there's actually a ton of. I'm just looking over the IMDb. That we won't go through the whole thing, but there's a ton of Robin Williams movies I've never seen. So yeah, but um, you know, first time view for you. Uh, I mean, what did you think of him? I miss Robin Williams. Anyways, yeah. more so after seeing this because he is so good. He's like like hauntingly uh, like plain and not even creepy, but just like. I don't know if he may, might play the perfect psychopath. You know what I mean? He's <laughs> well, yeah, just, I mean, he doesn't overdo it. No. It's not to the point of something like, you know, when we talk about Mr. Brooks later, he's got like a multiple personality thing and he, you know, William Hurt plays his other personality and he talks to himself. And this is just like, you know, it go, this movie goes to dark places, but it really is kind of sad at the end of the day when you... Mm-hmm when they have the uh, interrogation or like the interview scene at the end with the police officer and the things that haven't really been hinted at throughout the rest of the movie that Robin Williams says. And then you realize like what's wrong with them and why mm-hmm. it's pretty, pretty dark. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a great movie. I mean, it really is like the music's excellent cinematography, everything. It like moves at a good clip too. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it feels like a time capsule. From 2002, mm-hmm. it really does. What did you think of the visual style of the film? Um, I enjoyed it. I mean, I really enjoyed the whole package. The thing I really remember, I don't know if it was from a special feature on the DVD back when I had it or just a conversation I had with somebody, but or maybe like IMDb trivia back in the day because I used to spend a lot of time on there. But um, I remember it being a big thing at the time, The like the lighting and how... like. Robin Williams's character, like when he's at home, he's like alone and he's kind of sad. So like any lighting in like his house or like the mm. parking lot is always like kind of got that yellow color correction and everything's kind of dark and dreary. Mm. And then the place where he is important and he matters and he can be of use is in the save mark. Oh. So it's just like bright fucking white, like mm-hmm. he's in heaven, basically. Oh, and cool. then... um the whole thing with the uh, the window up, like way up on the wall where the boss's office is, is kind of like God looking down on him and judging him. And like, I don't know if this these are the things that Mark Romanek had in mind when he made the film, considering mm-hmm. he comes from music videos, which are like a very visual medium mm-hmm. over storytelling. A lot of times I would bet that these are things he had in mind. But those are the things I remember being topics of conversation, like back when the movie came out. Yeah, um, I could see that. Cause uh, I'm not I'm not great at like cluing in on those kind of visual clues or cues rather. So, mm-hmm. uh, but now that you say that, that makes it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and then like whenever he's like around the family or like when he's having that dream about himself in their home, everything's like very warm and like kind of lit by like natural sunlight and stuff to make it feel like oh here's like a family and he imagines what it would like be like to be a part of it and all that. Mm-hmm. But that's good. Good point. Yeah. uh, I love Robin Williams in this movie. Um, It's interesting. He had originally been cast to play the boss, like the Mm. the manager at the same Lumberg. Yeah. Who's played by Lumberg from uh, Office Space, uh, Gary Cole. 
mm-hmm. who's just great at playing a, a boss. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Robin Williams had originally been cast in that part, and they were trying to get Jack Nicholson for the lead. And then he turned it down, and Robin Williams basically said, hey, can I play the lead instead? And what a good call. Yeah. It seems like it did uh, pretty good. I want to say it was only like 12 million bucks and made like 30, 30 something. Yeah, and I I believe it played Sundance and like was pretty popular there. I mean, I think it's a a really good movie. I do think that the visual style of it and how color corrected like greens and yellows it is sometimes does feel like it dates it a bit. It feels like that like early certainly early 2000 like indie kind of flair. Yeah, late 90s early 2000s when color correcting really became a thing after like Saving Private Ryan and The Matrix. I feel like that was just an easy way to take your movie that was like shot with like poor lighting or crappy lighting or whatever. And mm-hmm. then like give it, maybe not make it look better, but give it a look like yeah. make it feel like the lighting choices were intentional or something. Yeah. It certainly is. Like I said, being like a time capsule kind of thing between like that and like people's hairstyle and clothes, like, mm-hmm. cause it's not like, there's not like it's a crazy big cast or anything. Yeah. So. And I mean, like the the save mark place is just like, you know, even if you don't get like the Walmart reference, which how can you not like everybody's been to stores like that? That's pretty synonymous. Sure. Um, the house that the family lives in is like very modern and the mm-hmm. husband even describes it as like the wife wanting it to look like a magazine mm-hmm. um, with like all the, you know, modern furniture and everything and like. All of that stuff, like the content of the film, aside from the one hour photo, like the actual, like the photography angle of it, I don't really think dates the movie that much. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the uh, music. I thought this was weird that uh, Trent Reznor actually did a score for the film, but then Mark Romanek decided not to use it. Oh, no way. Yeah. And then I guess uh, some of that music got transformed into one of uh, Nine Inch Nails like EPs or something. Jeez. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, because he makes great soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Or scores this, even, really. I mean, I what was the first big one he did? Was it Social Network? Him and Atticus, fin- Atticus Ross? Atticus Finch. What What Fucking. came first? That? <laughs> was it that or uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? Pretty sure Social Network was first. Okay. Yeah. I know he did both of those. I have both of those. They're great. But, like, I don't know, did he do a, like, a score for a film before that? Like, would this have been, like, a noteworthy thing that, you know, he didn't end up doing or didn't end up getting used? And then, like, later on he becomes, like, you know, sought after and known for doing scores? I mean, it certainly could be. I see the angle with the director coming from music videos. Yeah, and having done some Nine Inch Nails videos. Sure. Also, uh, apparently Mark Romanek wanted the film to be considerably longer, mm-hmm. but then the studio decided to shorten it and like they rearranged some scenes and apparently got rid of like a ton of dialogue sequences. And I can say that I don't notice anything missing. Like it all feels pretty natural to me. And like you said, it, the movie has a good pace. Yeah. Um, real quick, Trent Reznor, that was his first movie score. To Social Network. He did do Quake, the video game, in 96. <laughs> but other than that, it was all Nine wow. Inch Nails stuff. So this would, that w- this would have been his first film score. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I wonder why he didn't use it. Like, 
unless it was like too on the nose, I could imagine that potentially being the thing. Because like we're talking about, you know, the the movie it deals with dark and sad and serious subject matter, but I don't think it really goes over the top all that much. No. And if uh, if Trent Reznor's score had lacked like audio tact, then maybe that would have been the problem. But I, I don't know. I cannot speculate. It's one of one of those things lost to Hollywood. We always talk about. Mm-hmm. You know that would be interesting to hear now. Yeah, or see even. The one other tidbit that I read about this, which um, I never heard this before, but apparently uh, Robin Williams was a fan of the anime Neon Genesis Evangelion. Oh, and no so way. He specifically requested that that toy be God. in the movie, and there's speculation that that particular figure was from his own collection. <laughs> Stop. Which oh. I don't know if any of that's true. I read that online, and that could be someone just like throwing bullshit on Wikipedia or whatever. But when I read that, I, I mean, was like, I never would have pegged him for like an anime fan. I never would have pegged that if it's true, which sure, let's assume it is, makes me love him even more. But even it could be believable because it seems like a very random bit of fandom to throw into a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, because no, I mean, I want to talk about like amount of people that would know that reference or what that even is. Yeah, there's actually a couple of pop culture references that feel like the average movie wouldn't have them. Like, there's the Neon Genesis Evangelion toy. There's um, there's a sequence where they show and you hear like a lot of an episode of The Simpsons. Yes, yes. It's the Cape Fear episode with Sideshow Bob, mm-hmm. which you know kind of tonally relates because it's a parody of Cape Fear, where a guy like becomes obsessed with this family and wants to do harm to one or all of them. Right. Gosh, I th- there was something else in there, but I can't remember what it was, but like things where I was like, Oh, that's a weirdly specific like choice of product placement or just like a item to include in the film. But I don't remember what it was now. Uh, yeah. I can't think of it. Other notable cast members, Clark Gregg appears. Yes. Yeah, still looks like agent Colson. Yeah, <laughs> he's only really in the end of the movie. He's like the sidekick cop who mm-hmm. doesn't do a whole lot. But yeah, I think uh, he's got one line of dialogue. This would have been yeah. He's he tells uh, the mother that uh, she may want to like uh, call her right. son's friend's house and have the kid's mom drive him home. That's the mm-hmm. only part I remember him talking. But yeah, would have had no idea who he was at the time. Had no idea who he was when he was in Iron Man. <laughs> right. Yeah. I only knew him from um, 500 Days of Summer, I think, because I was like, mm, really into that yeah. movie, and he was the boss at the greeting card place. Don't think I had any idea who he was at the time in that either. Mm. Jim Rash from Community uh, was the in one scene as the uh, the guy who like f- takes pictures of amateur porn. Oh, oh wow. Uh, when they, mm-hmm. it's, it's funny. It's, it's kind of like in, in clerks when, uh, Dante is talking about all the customers he hates, like the people who check the eggs and the people who check the dates on the milk. And it's like a montage of imagery of the different people mm-hmm. early on in the movie. Robin Williams does like narration and talks about all the different kinds of customers he has, like the woman who only takes pictures of her cats and right. the guy who is like an insurance adjuster or whatever, or an insurance claims adjuster. So he only brings in photos of like wrecked vehicles and then the amateur porn artist. And <laughs> um, I wonder if, if the details they gave were true that like uh, 
as long as there's no like bestiality or like child pornography, then they basically just have to turn a blind eye. <laughs> I mean, I believe that. Yeah. You know, it's I mean, just kind of weird to think that like at any random like CVS or whatever back in the day, like it, it was, it was yeah. part of your job. If you worked at the photo mat that you just had to like, you know, look at people's bee holes if that's what they took photos I mean, of. You either got like, you know, your, your disposable you brought in once a week with the hallways of high school or naked people or cats, you know, <laughs> you never know. Yeah. What a job that must have been. Just oh, like please. every time not knowing what you were going to find. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. I like the bits of, I mean, it's kind of all back to Robert Williams. Like he makes the movie. Um, like he just plays like like that calculating kind of like OCD side of his job. You know, like where he's freaking out about the, the parameters on the machine and all mm-hmm. that. Like, yeah, that's a great scene when the technician mm-hmm. is there and he's pissed off because of like the minor like mm-hmm. discoloration then robin williams is like freaking out about it and robin like plays it so good the t- the few times where he has to like crank it up and freak out a little mm-hmm. he just does it so good man i was like kind of blown away yeah i mean he is known mostly for comedy and rightfully so and mm-hmm. he's really funny in a lot of movies and stuff but um yeah there are a couple instances i've seen of him playing a serious role and he's really good this being oh, yeah. one of them this one of them um uh, Goodwill Hunting, I think he's great oh, into. Right, I yeah, he's awesome it. in that. Just the two of those. Yeah, Awakenings, like I said, and mm-hmm. yeah. So, what do you think of the ending with, like, what he does in the hotel, and then his That's pictures that aren't really anything? Like the one semi-problematic thing for me, just because it's a, it's just kind of weird. <laughs> Yes. Like, I love the actual, like, interrogation scene or whatever. It's not even an interrogation, but, like, the conversation between him and the cop and the revelation of his backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, I love all that. I, it's That part saves it for me because, like, what happens in the the hotel room is, like, all, like, you know, I don't I don't love that part. Mm-hmm. But, then, but then because it's, like, then he just gets caught and I was like, where is this going? But then when he, like, reveals his past in the... In the interrogation, I thought it was like it, it circled back good for me. I thought. Mm-hmm. I just don't really see the uh, the reasoning behind what takes place in the hotel room. Right. Yeah. When you see what the photos are. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I can't claim to fully understand that, but um, yeah. Yeah. Written and directed by Mark Romanek, and uh, you know, I think he wrote a good movie. Mm-hmm. I concur, sir. And. Uh, yeah, twelve million budget, and it made fifty-two point two. I don't oh. know if that was the number you had. But. I thought it was. I thought I thought thirty. So that's even better. Yeah. So okay. uh, yeah, that'll work. I am happy to say that I still like the movie, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I would buy this on Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah, I believe that. Who do you think would put out a Blu-ray of that? With just a standard kind of Blu-ray, or one of your uh, fancy companies you like? That Maybe Olive up? Films. Oh. Okay. I don't think it's quite uh, like Vinegar Syndrome or Shout Factory level. Right. Let me send off a polite tweet to Olive Films. Maybe Oscilloscope or... Uh, I could see this being like a Criterion film. Mm, yeah, actually. I mean, you know, I don't know... For, like I like I said before, I know the name Mark Romanek, and like if you just said that name to me, I'd be like, oh yeah, he's a director, but probably couldn't have even told you that he was the one who made One Hour Photo until I was you know doing the research for the show. Uh-huh. But um, 
like I'm not sh- I I feel like if somebody has directed so few films, you know, it it feels for some reason to me like that must be like a well-respected thing like uh you know, he only makes a film when like he really feels it's worth it or something like that. Or maybe mm-hmm. that's completely off base and it's just not his top priority, but I would think that, you know, he may be considered cause the one other movie he made was Never Let Me Go. I w- I would think that maybe he's considered like a a noteworthy talent, yeah, an auteur, yeah. worth preserving in uh, in the Criterion Collection. I mean, they did release The Rock once upon a time. Well, that is true. <laughs> and Armageddon. True. So it's very true. Yeah, I can see it. Criterion with a uh, someone lays in the uh, Trent Reznor score instead. Mm, that could be interesting. You know, like or some different scenes or something. Some some random like some random thing in a Criterion that I wouldn't actually watch. But would we enjoy that? It was <laughs> but it's included. nice to know that it's there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those things I, I could... always forget. Like I have a ton of criterions, and I always forget about the extra bits like that. Mm-hmm. Always. Oh, I'm still the kind of person who, if I'm holding a Blu-ray in my hand and it's kind of pricey, and I flip it over to the back, and there's like no special features, that's like a determining factor oh, yeah. in me spending the money or not. Mm-hmm. Even though, like, what are the chances I'm actually going to sit down and watch the special features? Low. Yeah. Pretty Same low. Here. Same here. But uh, yeah, I can imagine a nice, a nice uh, abstract Tomer Hanuka oh. illustration for the cover. Tell him, Milsey. <laughs> Art direct that thing. That'd be pretty good. All right. All right. So we make a note. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. <laughs> so shall we move on to the number 23? Uh, I do have more questions about Mr. Grimm, but yes, let's move on to <laughs> number 23. <laughs> We'll do a special episode about him. <laughs> okay. Or you can ask me all the questions you want off the air. All right, deal. So the number 23 released in 2007. Walter, what are you doing? Check this out. Walter Sparrow doesn't work. But if I use my middle name... Walter. 51197. Isn't that amazing? What? It's all 23. My birthday, 2-3. Driver's license, social security number, Everything. I was born at 11, 12 p.m. 11 plus 12. It's like it's imitating my life. You can't be serious. The author knows so much about me. It's as if he chose me. Is this what you've been doing all day? Have you finished the book? Not yet. You've concerned yourself with minutia and you've drawn wild conclusions from them. What about the fact that Fingerling becomes a killer? A killer? And just how many people have you killed? Wait, who gets killed? Ask Mr. Fingerling. I'm sorry, honey. Why this color? Why did you choose this color? I don't know. You tell me. Red number five. R-E-D is 27 plus five is 32, which is? You're reaching now. <laughs> sure, there are differences. Fingerling's a detective. I'm a dog catcher. He met Fabrizio when he was 32, whereas I met you when I was... 23. And the day we met was? September 14th. 914. 14 plus 9 is? 23. We married October 13th. 1013. 23. Suicide Blonde said it ruled her world. She killed because of it. Then she handed it on to Fingerling on his 32nd birthday. 23 reversed. Fingerling called it fate. Do you know what fate is? 32. I rest my case, Your Honor. Honey. I think you're taking this wait, wait, too wait, seriously. Wait, wait, wait. We live at 1814. I mean, 18 is 1 plus 8, which equals 9. And 9 plus 14 is also 23. 
14 is 1 plus 4, which equals 5, and 5 plus 18 is 23, too. Oh, my God. All right, Robin, please, don't you start this nonsense. This is not nonsense. I, I mean, 5 plus 18 is 23. Well, if the book were 27 or 150, you could do the same thing. 18 plus 14 is 32. 23 reversed. <sighs> Spooky, huh? I don't believe that this will be getting a release from Criterion anytime soon. Millsy, mm-hmm. can, I just, can I just make a statement about this movie? Please. It probably like sums up my general disposition towards this movie. Mm-hmm. About 45 minutes in, audibly, out loud, I said, are they serious with this fucking saxophone? <laughs> oh, uh... I mean, I guess anyone that's seen the movie might understand that <laughs> reference. I know you do. Well, I mean, I, they're trying to go for the whole, like, noir vibe, I think. It, it, sure. I know what they're trying to do. <laughs> but, man, I was not expecting that whole, uh, I don't know, what would you say, the reenactment of the book? Mm-hmm. Millsy, give the people a quick synopsis. 27 syllables, quickly. First, before I do that, did you know anything about this movie going in? No. Tell me what you thought you knew, and then I'll tell you what it's about. I was pretty sure it was like just one of these kind of like urban legend about the number 23. I didn't know there's like a whole movement or whatever behind this. Like it's an actual. Yeah, see, like thing. When, I was, when I was looking up the movie on Wikipedia just the other day, I saw that, you know, it mentions the 23 Enigma or whatever. Yeah. And I clicked on it expecting to be like, oh, I'm going to do a deep dive into this. But the Wikipedia article for it is like tiny. You know, it says the origin is like, I think it was William Burroughs like believed in it or something. And there's like one or two little notations, but there's really nothing. Like it's not, I don't think that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, I read, uh, I think I read the IMDb. Um, oh, well, if you read the IMDb too. trivia, it's just people finding any, yeah. any excuse yeah. to be like, oh, everything comes up to 23 right. in the movie. That's and a exactly lot of it probably it is. is planned. But then it's just like people extrapolate. It's doing the same thing that Jim Carrey's character does in the yeah. movie. Just like extrapolating things and like when you want to find a certain answer, you'll find it. Yeah. Like, you'll find, you'll, you'll add a dozen different numbers together. You'll add, subtract, divide, do some trigonometry to get to 23. Yeah. That no one else would come up with. Mm-hmm. So in that case where they describe like, yeah, it's pretty easy to find 23 out of things. Well, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like, I don't think that there's any evidence that 23 is like easier to do that with than any other number or anything like that. It's just, yeah. you know, the number they, they went with. Yeah. So the movie is basically Jim Carrey is a, dog catcher like an animal control officer in this town has a son and a wife and one day the wife finds this used book called the number 23 in a bookstore buys it and gives it to jim carrey and as he is reading the book the the book is about somebody who is obsessed with the number 23 and thinks that there's like some meaning behind it and as Jim Carrey reads the book, he finds that it like, mimics his own life. And so he starts to think that the book was written about him. And he starts trying to track down the person who wrote the book. And then, you know, we'll go ahead and spoil it. In a very, like, early 2000s plot twist, 
turns out Jim Carrey is the one who wrote the book and he just didn't remember because <laughs> he went crazy and jumped out a window and then got amnesia or some shit. And it just so happens that his wife found the one copy of the book in existence in a bookstore and gave it to her husband, who turns out to be the guy who wrote it. It's just it's a fucking stretch, to say the least. I'm reading this right from my notes, Milzy, which I only have two of for this movie. The mm-hmm. first one. Are they serious with this fucking saxophone? <laughs> and the second one is the story, like the overall look, is muddy trash. <laughs> yeah. The movie is like act one, I'm interested. Yes. Like, so I saw this in the theater. I remember being excited to see it. Saw it with Brian back in the day when it came out. Was very disappointed by it. Uh, didn't remember a ton about it aside. Like, I didn't even remember the twist. Like, for all intents and purposes, I watched this for the first time the other day because mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't remember the twist. I just re- I remember knowing that the movie had a terrible twist, but didn't remember what it was. I should have seen it coming a mile away. Mm-hmm. But it's just so preposterous that, like, why would you think that that's what the twist is? Yeah, I I I didn't see it coming because I was still remember being like, she just found this thing and found this book in a bookstore. At yeah, what are the fucking chances? But like, oh, slim first none, act. Yes. First act I find interesting when they're like introducing the idea of the numbers and Jim Carrey is like I it's it's kind of like um Close Encounters of the Third Kind kind of thing where the main character in that like starts to go crazy and like he's having these visions and thinks he knows something like Jim Carrey has like this crazy conspiracy theory and like it's all about the mystery and then as the movie goes on and they start showing those reenactments from the book um, and all of a sudden it's like Jim Carrey imagining himself as the main character, but with these weird, like thorn tattoos all over his like back and tribal garbage thorns. Like it's, and it's so muddy. It's like, there's like a, they got like a black, like fuzz around the entire screen. Like that just kind of like, it's very stylized, like very stylized, but very just like heavy handed noir. Mm hmm. I was just that when that first happened, I went, Oh no. Cause I was, it was just going to take me out of the movie. It's like every time he, I saw him in those scenes, I just thought of like Ace Ventura or something. It's just like, I just couldn't buy it. Mm-hmm. Not so much his fault. Cause it's like, I love him in like eternal sunshine and all that. But for whatever reason, just, I think the overall look and just like him with the tattoos, it just like, it just felt like a goof that I yeah, just, it just has like, took me a, out of it. Bad. Kind of a trashy, lame vibe to it like they thought they were being cool but they're not Mm -hmm. yeah and then he's like of course he's like this whatever he is is he a pi or uh, i don't even remember what the yeah in the in the in the book he's like a detective and then in real life he's like a you know a dog catcher animal control yeah so the detective you know it just when halfway through the thing is when they show him he pulls out he's sitting out like it's raining outside and he turns in away like towards you from the window and he's got the saxophone. I was like, is this a joke? <laughs> yeah. Is it a joke on me? Am I laughing with them? I don't even know. <laughs> no, they're laughing at you. Oh. So yeah, speaking of the style, this film directed by Joel Schumacher, who gave us mm. Batman and Robin and Batman Forever. Mm-hmm. But uh, not super long ago, uh, Jesse and I went on a little bit of a deep dive on Sidetracked and watched a couple of Joel Schumacher movies that, it's amazing, are like not like, like I hear the name Joel Schumacher and because I'm a comic nerd, I immediately think of Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Right. 
But then you forget, or like I don't know if I ever knew in the first place. Like, dude also directed Saint Elmo's Fire and The Lost Boys. And time, Time to Kill is a great movie. Yeah, Time to Kill, Flatliners, Falling Down, The Client, Phone Booth. Like, oh wow, you yeah, know, I didn't, didn't know he did all those either. A real varied career. Mm-hmm. But like when he decides he wants to go for a certain visual style, you know, he he goes hard. And with this one, it's not like the neon colors and the like, you know, fake goth look that um, <laughs> the Batman movies have. Mm-hmm. But it is like he decided to really dive into the noir. Like it's yeah. like it's the next best thing to like how noir Sin City the movie yeah. went. It's just a, a bad decision. Yeah. I don't think it even needed the noir. Like. It didn't add anything. Yeah, me neither. It just feels like it's padding out the movie, and I'm bored by all that stuff, like where he's just narrating what happens in yeah. the book, and I'm not even following like the the nicknames he has and who all the characters in the book are. Like mm-hmm. by that, by like halfway through the movie, I'm just so disinterested in all that stuff. Yeah. Um. That and like then, I'm having trouble paying attention, basically. And then to explain it away that he killed his girlfriend that left him uh what i mean what they basically say milsey he writes this book because it's kind of a confession but he ends up changing the names and details and Uh, then jumps out of a window i guess like he if if what's written in the book is to be believed as like his true life story before he lost his memory he meets this girl and she's obsessed with the number 23 and then he starts thinking about it and becomes obsessed with it and then kills her, goes nuts, writes the book almost as like a suicide note, and then jumps out the window. Uh, Don't and they then, say his dad was like obsessed with the number? I think it was, was it his dad or was it the girl's? I don't remember. It, literally, I started to lose interest like two thirds of the way through the movie and like kind of stopped trying to follow the like uber complicated plot. Yes. Like, I followed the basics, but then you get into stuff like, so his wife is played by Virginia Madsen, Triple Threat Theater al- uh, alumnus from Electric Dreams. Oh, okay, I forget. <laughs> and there's a part in the movie where she finds out a detail and goes to, like, this abandoned insane asylum and finds a box that belonged to Jim Carrey there. And invites her friend, who is played by Danny Houston, and happens to be like a professor of numerology. Like, what are the fucking chances there, too? Mm-hmm. And then they now know that Jim Carrey is the one who wrote the book. And I guess they're trying to keep it a secret from him, or they haven't told him yet. And meanwhile, Jim Carrey and his son, played by Logan Lerman, are following a clue from like circling the 23rd, every 23rd word on every 23rd page of the book. And they they go and they dig up this body or like a skeleton. And when they run to get the cops, we're supposed to believe that Virginia Madsen, random wife, and Danny Houston, random professor, rush in and steal the skeleton so that the (laughs) cops, when they come back with Jim Carrey, won't find the skeleton. Right. Like, it just, it's bullshit, all of it. It's It's terrible. It (laughs) is the messiest story I think we've had so far. We've had some doozies. Yeah, it's just like, I don't know. Like I say, the the twist in this movie feels like it's kind of typical of the post-Fight um, Club mm-hmm. thriller era. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, Fight Club is what it is. I still think that that movie's pretty clever. And there are a few other examples of this kind of, of twist where it's like, it, it was, turns out it was the main character the whole time or whatever that are fine, but... Right. This one, it's just like, I feel like it had been done so many times in the years following Fight Club. This came out almost a decade later that it's just, they really had to reach to try and fool the audience. And it's just, when the movie, when the plot of the movie spends more time trying to hide its twist than Mm -hmm. just like telling a story, then it just begins to feel tedious. And that's a word I would use to describe this movie. Accurate. And like, unlike Robin Williams in One Hour Photo, I don't feel like Jim Carrey brings a whole lot to this. No. He's pretty charismatic, and I like him in those early scenes where he's like discovering all of the connections with the number 23, and he's like trying to prove to his wife by like writing on the walls and all. Like his acting in those parts where there's still like a little joy in him, I don't Mm -hmm. mind. But then dark, depressed Jim Carrey doesn't work for me it's not good yeah this is yeah. all around bad mm-hmm. this we're not alone here this movie has an eight percent on rotten tomatoes <laughs> oh but at the time and this is probably largely because of jim carrey's name which still would have had a fair amount of uh recognition at the time budget of 30 million box office 77.6 hmm. so it didn't do bad okay okay yeah i don't it just Everybody saw it. Nobody liked it, I guess. Yeah, well, they were right. <laughs> Fun fact about this one, written by a guy named Fernley Phillips, who has never written another movie. Okay. Uh, I was amazed when I looked him up. Like, he's credited with, like, story for some indie film I've never heard of. But this, he, like, flat out wrote the script for this movie. Only credit Man. he really has on IMDb. His big break. Yeah. Well, I got to say, uh, Finley, was that was his name? Fernley. Fernley Phillips. Fernley. I mean, the script is just, for me, it's even like way too full of just the coincidence stuff makes me crazy. They're just mm-hmm. them finding the book in the bookstores. Enough for me to be like, you know what? Forget this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that just, those little kind of things make me crazy. Yeah. And like the doctor at the insane asylum, like the only, like the book is like a one of a kind self-published thing. And the doctor at the insane asylum makes a copy of the book and puts it out into the world for some fucking reason that's not explained. Right. And then there's like an address in the back of the book that nobody finds until it's convenient for the plot. Like if Jim Carrey's like, like, you know, digging into the meanings in this book and he never finds that address until his son's like, hey, dad, look, an address. Right, right. It's, I don't know. Even that like that dumb uh, pseudonym or pen name or whatever. Mm hmm. I can't remember. What is it? Mr. Secret or... Uh, Oh, um... Lickety Split or something. (laughs) Oh, fuck. What is it? Uh, (laughs) Lickety Split. Um, Oh, shit. What is it? It is Secrets. It's something Secrets. It's like Manny Secrets or something. (laughs) (laughs) That's better. It's not that, but that Manny Secrets... Oh, man, it's killing me that I can't remember it. Compelling radio, but we got to look this up. I know. (laughs) Did you find it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Manny Secrets is far better than Top Secrets. Top Secrets, that's the name. Top Secrets. Top Secrets. That's like a joke. (laughs) I know, that's terrible. Oh, it's so bad. Good work, Fernley. Top Secrets. (laughs) 
<laughs> Someone right there should have known, like, oh, there's something up with this book. There's no way that's a real name. <laughs> Top Secrets. <laughs> At least Manny Secrets is unbelievable. <laughs> Oh, oh god i'm gonna have to work many secrets into the poster oh, for this episode absolutely uh i before i forget i want to mention just of ludicrous things in this script so jim carrey kills his girlfriend mm-hmm. or kills his ex-girlfriend stabs her i believe in her apartment mm-hmm. her current boyfriend new boyfriend oh, comes right. comes home walks into uh you know scene of the crime sees uh, a bed with a white sheet on it, covered in blood, with a bloody knife in the middle. Now, Milzy, if you saw that, what would you do? Pick up the knife. Oh, well, you'd fit right <laughs> in in this movie. <laughs> yeah, the uh, uh, Jacob from uh, from Lost is uh-huh. this character, and he just walks right in, just picks up the knife, and is just like, "Oh, what's this? I better oh. put my fingerprints on it." I'm I'm calling for her. She's not, re- you know, she's not answering. And then oh, goes to prison all. for the rest oh, of look, his there's life. There's a bucket of blood all over this bed. Let me grab this <laughs> knife. Yeah, like, come on, Schumacher. Someone, Pretty I mean, someone couldn't read that script and be like, eh, "I don't know about this one." Yeah. I don't know. It is funny, though, as much money as the movie made that, like, he didn't all of a sudden get, like, a bunch of other script work, but I don't know. I feel like I need to know more about Fernley Phillips. (laughs) All right. Follow-up episode. (laughs) Where is he now? (laughs) I forgot to mention in uh, one-hour photo, uh, Connie Nielsen, the female lead of that film, Mm -hmm. in films such as Rushmore, Soldier, and Mission to Mars, also is in Wonder Woman. And oh, then in the yeah. number 23, you have Virginia Madsen, who is also in Wonder Woman, and Danny Houston, who is also in Wonder Woman. Uh, I don't recall her name, but from one hour photo, what is her name again? Connie Nielsen. Don't forget, Milzy. She's in one of your favorite Ridley Scott films, Gladiator. Mm, I did forget. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks, bud. Knew I could count on you for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Logan Lerman early on. Yeah, young Logan. Before coming to fame in the Percy Jackson movies, I mm-hmm. guess. He'll show up in a Marvel movie eventually. <laughs> Probably. Uh, yeah, I think that's all I got on this one. Just yeah. a pretty terrible rewatch. Yeah. We gave it enough time. Yeah. So on to Mr. Brooks, 2007 yes. as well. Mm-hmm. What can I do for you, Mr. Let's say Smith. Okay, Mr. Smith. Before you get the wrong impression, Mr. Brooks, I'm not here to shake you down. Well, then these are the only copies of these photos, and you have no others. No. I have other copies and other photos, and if anything happens to me. How did you find me, Mr. Smith? You're man of the year, Mr. Brooks. (laughs) Your picture was in the paper. And if it hadn't have been, I I don't know. I don't know what I would have done. Lucky me. What is it that I can help you with? I've been watching that couple for months. Yeah, they like to make love with the blinds open. Sometimes I would take pictures. Visual aids for later. It's a great way to get off, I'll tell you that. It was fun, I thought. 
until I saw you kill them. And I have never, ever felt a, a rush like that, ever. I know you're the thumbprint killer. You've done this before. What I want is for you to take me with you next time you kill someone. And I'd like that to be soon. Similar to the number 23, saw the previews for this, was excited. I think I was just a big enough Dane Cook fan at the time that that's why I was excited about this, because he was going to be like in a serious movie role. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's crazy to think back now and think that Dane Cook would have been a draw for anybody to see anything, but... you know, Never has been for me. I've never been a times. fan, so... I think oh. I saw one of his stand-ups once. I fully fell in love with him back in the day when he had his like Comedy Central half hour special or whatever. Yeah, everyone did Millsy, it's okay. Yeah. I have to say, like, I just I think I just like missed the boat and then when I finally did see something, I just it was past the prime anyways, but mm-hmm. I had his first three CDs. Yeah, you did. <laughs> so if not uh the allure of Dane Cook, what drew you to this movie since you'd seen it before? Mm, I've actually always liked Kevin Costner. Hmm. Oddly enough, uh, I always loved the bodyguard that he's in. <laughs> okay, I don't know if that's a movie my mom likes, so I watch. I mean, that probably came out in like ninety two ish, if I had to guess. Mm-hmm. Which I was pretty young, but that doesn't necessarily mean I wasn't just watching movies that I probably shouldn't have been. Um, but yeah, I always liked the bodyguard. I actually, like Waterworld. Mm. Uh, As do I. Oh, true story. Yeah, I love oh. Waterworld. Oh, good to know. Yeah, <laughs> see, that's Millsy. It's just it's it was written in the stars for us to to meet up and be <laughs> friends someday. Got to get Waterworld in an episode one of these days. <sighs> All right. Make yeah, I mean, um, Arrow Video recently did a release of Waterworld, and no. I want to pick it up. Yeah. Oh no way! Mm-hmm. Oh man, we're gonna watch. <laughs> we gotta watch that together. Yeah, it's a it's a movie that I have always thought it was weird that people shit on it so much, and then I rewatched it like couple of years ago for the first time in quite some time and i legitimately really like that movie now like i mean i've watched it a bunch of uh, the two of them between bodyguard and waterworld i've watched the both of them a ton of times mm-hmm. and i've always liked waterworld wow look at that mills <laughs> i think what else do i like him in i've never seen the postman or dances with wolves uh robin hood is probably the oh, other thing that i know I forget, him most from I, I love robin hood prince of thieves he's so mm-hmm. good in that too yeah. I like him in that, uh, I think it's The Guardian. He's like a Coast Guard something or other. Mm, but that's more that. of like an Ashton Kutcher vehicle, but <laughs> I even like him in that. So, yeah, I like Kevin Costner. He was working with all the hot young stars. Ashton Kutcher, oh. Dane Cook. All right. Christian Slater um, back in Prince of Thieves. <laughs> if I had to guess, so I have a buddy of mine that I think is a fan of Mr. Brooks or is the one that got me to watch it, but. I didn't remember much from it. I think I even, even like sitting down to do this episode and like turning on Mr. Brooks because I watched that first. And I even turned it on and I said, I was like, wait, why is Mr. Brooks part of this episode? <laughs> like, I was like, what? And I was like, oh, Tank Cook, yes, of course. <laughs> um, so yeah, I completely forgot that Demi Moore is in it. Completely forgot. I remembered that. I didn't remember mm. much about the plot of this, but I remembered the cast, including mm. like uh, Daniel Panabaker, right, um, right, as the daughter. 
Yeah. Um, I remembered the kind of like twist ending that's not really the ending. I remembered and thought that was the real ending. Mm. So you're talking about uh, the the stabbing scene with the daughter, yeah. or yes, yes. Well, that. fun fact, Dex. Mm. Uh, that was the original ending for the film, but it tested poorly in uh, test audiences. Oh, because uh, the the guys who made this movie, Bruce A. Evans and Reynold Gideon, who wrote such things as Starman and Stand by Me and Jungle to Jungle with Tim Allen, okay, uh, <laughs> and also the movie Cuffs, which is the one other film that Bruce A. Evans, the director of this, has directed. Oof. They planned this as a trilogy of films. And so the original ending to this was Daniel Panabaker, the daughter, stabbing Kevin Costner, her father, and killing him because similar to, like, Dexter, it turns out that he passed on his, like, you know, serial killer instincts to her. Oh. And then the sequel was going to be about her and was going to be called Mrs. Brooks. Oh. But they changed it after negative reactions. Uh, I don't know if she could have carried a sequel. Oh, no, I don't think she could either. I mean, as it's released, that could probably still have been a sequel, like the two of them together or something. Mm-hmm. That sounds more interesting than... But yeah, she was Brooks. supposed to kill her dad. Oh, well, I don't know how I feel about that ending, because it's not like... Hmm. Like, why would that be satisfying in the least? Like, I don't understand. Yeah, like, yeah it wouldn't, because... Yeah, it would, it would really just have confer- nothing to do with the story. It would confirm what you already know, that she's crazy and she's a killer. Mm-hmm. But then she's just like... You know, it's not like she's not getting away with that one. She killed him in her in her own bedroom. Yeah, like you know? what what necessity to kill the father? Right. I, yeah, that that doesn't yeah. make any sense. It feels like it was just shock value for shock value. True, true. So I think and, that was a good call. To, yeah, uh, I'd I'd kind of be fine if it just wasn't in the movie at all. Like yeah. they leave it in there almost as like a little dream sequence, or like Kevin Costner's imagining what could happen because his daughter is now nuts like him. But mm-hmm. Melzi, what do you think of this movie overall? Uh, not a big fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, again, Brian and I being very excited for it, going to see it, and us not really liking it. And, uh, you know, wasn't particularly excited to rewatch this one. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it might actually be a little better than I remember. I think over time I just, like, assumed that I really despised the movie when I don't know if that was ever the case, but... Uh, you know, didn't remember a lot about it and just expected the worst. Um, it's pretty generic... This probably came out around the same time as when Dexter started, and it's kind of a similar thing where it's like a serial killer who's trying to, like, keep it together, and, you know, Dexter had his dark passenger who would, like, he would talk to and would control him. It wasn't literally, like, another person that he was talking to, Mm -hmm. but then, like, he had all those conversation scenes with his father in the show who... Right, was played right. by James Remar and was the one who like taught him how to kill people and get away with it. And then this movie is like Kevin Costner has a multiple personality or whatever, like his inner demon that's played by William Hurt, who he talks to. And just it it feels very similar to that. And that like whole concept of like serial killers and basing movies around serial killers who are like, you know, the main character and are sort of an anti-hero good guy feels like a kind of dated thing at this point. Mm-hmm. Demi Moore's character, her just like super stereotypical, like primetime cop show police officer, I don't like. I just don't think any police officers like look or act like she does in this movie. 
I think this. Yeah, I'm not a fan of this movie either. I did like Kevin Costner and William Hurt together. Mm-hmm. Like I liked their bits, but it probably like begins and ends there. I, f- I thought this watching this movie, I was sure this was like a book that was like really long and adapted into a movie because there's so much shit going on. <laughs> yeah, there's so many subplots and side plots and extra characters and well, it just feels pretty messy. You'll be interested to know that Kevin Costner at the time when he read this said that it was one of like the three best scripts he had ever read, and that's why he wanted to do it. Lindsay, how are you going to trash my hero like that? Right it really face? blows my mind because I think the story in this movie is really bad and scattershot, kind of like you were just saying. It's completely scattershot. I mean, you Demi Moore does not need to be in this movie at all. You just need someone to like be on his tail so it feels like he's going to get caught any moment. She's just I a guess, means to yeah. an end. But they, I mean, her whole subplot with her marriage and the, oh, she's being sued and terrible. There's a, a, a another serial killer that she captured is is uh, broken out of jail and is after her. Yeah, who like Why hangs people and... and they have the worst shootout oh. in a movie I think possibly ever. Yeah, I fucking hate that, and I remember hating that at the time that oh. shootout at the end where it's dark and it's just all the lights going off. Yeah, it's like it's a dark hallway where like, you know, she's looking for this guy and he just comes out of a different apartment, shoots at her, misses her completely like he's a stormtrooper or something. Can't hit, you know, the side of a barn. Then she perfectly shoots out all the lights, but can't hit him. Yes, she can't hit him several times. Then, you know, like you said, gets the lights and then they just bang it out in this hallway. and No one gets hit. Yeah, and it's just, I I hate the way that it's filmed and, like, the kind of strobe effect of it in the dark. So bad. Like, why why would she shoot out the lights when she's trying right. to shoot the fucking guy anyway so she can't see him? But I read that, uh, you know, they, they really prided themselves on that scene and they, like, somehow remotely hooked up the guns to, like, a lighting rig so that when the actors pulled the trigger on their guns, that would cause the lights to flash and so it was almost like the actors are providing their own lighting with their gunfire. And it just seemed way more oh, complicated, and not worth all the effort because that scene is terrible. Uh, can you hear my eyes rolling? Like, come on. <laughs> and they also have that terrible scene where she gets uh, like kidnapped by them in the street, the guy and the girl. Oh, yeah. And then it, it's one of those classic scenes of like, you know, there's a fight going on in the back of the van between her and this guy that she has no right being able to overpower. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, there's someone in the front of the truck who's driving and like Demi Moore grabs a hold of the woman's hair so she can't see while she's driving. And it's like, okay, how about you just stop the van? Like right. so many times in chase scenes, it's like you could just stop and you wouldn't be in danger anymore. But mm-hmm. uh, the whole scene, and like her flying out of the van and smashing into that car windshield and like she would have broken her fucking spine and, I just, I just hate all that. It just feels so phony and like super unnecessary inclusion of characters for no reason. I mean, the daughter being pregnant, I feel like, is completely unnecessary. It's probably so that the third film could be about her kid also oh, being a serial killer. <laughs> Whatever. Putting the cart before the horse, Mills. <laughs> and even like Dane Cook's character and his involvement, like mm-hmm. his thing is he's like a amateur photographer who takes pictures of the neighbors fucking because they always leave their curtains open and happens to catch Kevin Costner murdering them. And so he's blackmailing Kevin Costner, not for money, 
but because he's like excited by the serial killer aspect and wants yeah. Kevin Costner to take him like on his next kill. Right. I don't know. Like, it just, which is also all, something that they did on Dexter, I believe, but it's just, it all feels so fucking just like mid two thousands obsession with serial killer wankery bullshit. I just, I don't know. I'm not into it. Now, they go out of their way to show you how meticulous Mr. Brooks is as a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Like, they show a lot. Which I like all that stuff. I mean, that's all. Okay, okay. He Paint. zip ties a plastic bag yeah. around his hand every Paint time. Paint a picture. He... Everything. Yeah. You're going to tell me that he didn't see those blinds wide open in front of him? Yeah. I mean, it was just off to the... I mean, there's no under no circumstances would you not see that. And it's the basis of the whole movie... It's just like convenient, lazy writing that mm-hmm. just, yeah. And then for that, and then to just suddenly be the one guy across the street that's watching it at that exact time that also wants to be a serial killer. Yeah. And I hate Dane Cook in this. He overacts so bad in this, it's not even funny. I don't think he's terrible, but he's not good. No. Sure, I mean, I've seen worse. I mean, he is an actor, but it's just the overacting out of him is, I thought, just cringeworthy the entire time. Yeah, as bad as this movie kind of is, I think that it's still above his pay grade. Yeah, for sure. Like, I know I saw, like, Good Luck Chuck. That's probably more suited to him, but <laughs> yes, I don't really remember. Yes, ab- absolutely. But uh, this movie also just has a visual style that I don't care for at all, where everything is, like, so clean and perfect looking, just like... Uh, Demi Moore is a cop, just always looks out like she just stepped out of a fucking, like a wardrobe closet. Mm-hmm. And yeah. her hair is always perfect, even after she just got like thrown from a vehicle. And right. and she's a, she's a multimillionaire, but she's a cop. For some reason, it's important to Mr. Brooks that she's a cop because she hated her father or something. Yeah, it's like, like oh, why? she wants something of her own. Like, so. What does that have to do with him or why is that necessary? It's almost like. Yeah. Was, you know, was this movie like part of a deal that Demi Moore had, so they had to put her in a movie or make a <clears throat> role for her? I don't understand. Not that know. she's not even that she's good or a bad actress. It's just that character is so unnecessary in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me give you a little more <laughs> amazing behind-the-scenes information about this film. Hit it. So are you familiar with the filmmaker Uwe Boll? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uwe Boll. Director of some of the worst garbage ever committed to film. Lunatic. If you don't like him, look him up sometime. Uh, He's fucking awful. Um, He's the guy who, you know, so many critics have shit on his movies for being awful over the years that he at one point said that any critic, if they wanted to, he would like box them, Uh like fight them. And I think he actually did fight a critic like in the ring. Like just, he's the worst. So Uwe Boll is a big fan of the movie Dances with Wolves. And so he met Kevin Costner and told him how big of a fan he is and asked Kevin Costner to be in his movie The Name of the King, A Dungeon Siege Tale, which I haven't seen, but I'm sure is garbage. Mm -hmm. And Kevin Costner, rightfully so, wasn't interested in doing that film. But they were in in the process of uh, prepping to make Mr. Brooks at the time. And he actually offered Uwe Boll the opportunity to direct Mr. Brooks. Come on. And Uwe Boll turned it down. Would you read that on Reddit? 
<laughs> I think it was on Wikipedia. Oh god. Which again, the internet could lie, like that that may not be true, but when I read that I was beside myself like maybe Kevin Costner and Avoid had never seen one of his movies and Uve was like sound possible. Like, Uve all... was so uh, like enthusiastic about loving dances with, with wolves and being a fan that Kevin Costner like gave him an opportunity. But then why would Uve Bull turn it down? I mean, if this was like a Mad Lib and all I had to fill in was whatever Phantom director it is, I mean, I would never even come close to saying <laughs> it was him ever. Yeah, but then I mean, the guy who ended up directing it is one of the writers who the only other film he had ever directed was Cuffs in the '90s with Christian Slater. Oh boy. Uh, I would say the direction is not very good. Um, no, it's pretty like point and click kind of, I don't know. Just nothing, nothing everything fancy. about it feels like a primetime network, like mm-hmm. police show. Yeah. And I, I just don't like that vibe, that tone. So don't like how Kevin Costner brings Dane Cook to the cemetery. Oh, right. To kill him and hide the body. Mm-hmm. But it's like. I don't know, Kevin Costner kills him with the shovel, doesn't think that he just sprays his blood all over <laughs> the grass and everything besides the hole that's right there. Yeah, slashes his throat open to spray blood everywhere with a shovel. Yet, he's like so meticulous that he snuck into Dane Cook's apartment the night before when he knew he was mm-hmm. going to do this and took the firing pin out of right. his gun. Even though Kevin Costner at the time wanted Dane Cook to kill him to like end his existence and save his own family from him or something. Mm -hmm. So he brought a firing pin with him so that if he changed his mind at the last minute, he could be like, Oh, hold up Dane Cook here. Here's the firing pin. I stole out of your gun. Put this back in there before you pull the trigger on me. Like just comes up with this stuff. Fucking dumb. It's similar to the number 23. It's just like overcomplicated, like in, in an attempt to try to be clever yeah. And have twists and turns. Mm-hmm. It's just like so unbelievable that I just can't right. stand it. It's completely unbelievable. It's offensive. Yeah. No fault of Kevin Costner's, I'd say. But I, I mean, yeah, I mean, the movie isn't bad because of him, but I just cannot believe that the, either that A, he believed this terrible script was one of the greatest he'd ever read, or B, that the like final product was so far from this allegedly great script. Like, I, right. I don't know what to believe there. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And I mean, I would imagine it's pretty close to the script since one of the writers directed it, but mm-hmm. what Damn the fuck man. do I know? Who knows? One other anecdote about this one. Uh, Zach Braff originally cast to play the Dane cook part. Don't know what Ooh. happened there, but he read the script. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, meanwhile, Dane Cook was probably like, oh, my God, I'm going to be in a movie with William Hurt, Kevin Costner, and Demi Moore. Mm-hmm. Yes, please. Sign me up. This is going to kick off my film career. Yeah, he's like, I'm done with comedy. I'm a movie star. <laughs> and then uh, it's a little surprising because of Kevin Costner and, at the time, Dane Cook, but uh, $20 million budget only made 48.1. Huh. Which, I mean, is still more than twice its budget. Yeah. but um, still, still successful, I'd say. But yeah, not, uh, you know, not uh, breaking the bank here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe that bud, that uh, box office return is why we never got the second two films in the trilogy, yeah. the Mr. Brooks trilogy. <laughs> For sure. Thankfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God, is there anything else? Anything I, else to say about this one? I don't think so, sir. Kevin Costner's character owns a box company. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense, right? A box company in a cemetery. 
people are always going to need boxes and they're always yeah. going to need graves. Right. Just the, He just owns whatever they need for the script, mm-hmm. basically. And going along with my theme from before of actors and actresses in Wonder Woman, uh, Marge Helgenberger, who plays uh, Kevin Costner's wife, not in the Wonder Woman film, but is uh, does a voice in the animated Wonder Woman movie from oh. 2009. <laughs> Conne- connective tissue everywhere. I just saw Wonder Woman listed in all these movies and was like, that is a weird coincidence. Oh, yeah. I know her best from Species. Oh, of course. Same here. High five. <laughs> Not the, uh, like, 15 seasons of CSI that she's been on. <laughs> no. Oh, God, no. And, uh, yeah, the aforementioned Danielle Panabaker, who plays the daughter, um, most people would probably know her as Killer Frost on the Flash TV show. Mm. Not but, me. But um, I feel like, I'm not sure what the first thing I saw her in was, but... I know that, like, back in the days after Lost, which I was a huge fan of and kind of got me into the whole idea of, like, hour-long dramatic television, like serialized TV, I was watching, like, any and every new show that they were putting on. And uh, there was a show that ran for, like, two seasons called Shark. Do you remember this? Nope. It starred... It was a lawyer show, so exactly the kind of bullshit that I shouldn't be interested in. But I watched it for a season because the main character was James Woods, who I love and uh, also starred Jerry Ryan uh, seven of nine from star Trek and Daniel Panabaker played James Woods, daughter on that show. So I think that might've been the first thing I saw her in. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Not, uh, not blowing everybody's mind with her career either though, aside from the flash. (laughs) No, sir. So yeah, that's all I got for this one. You want to talk some posters? Let's talk about those posters. All right. I don't feel like there's a whole lot of uh, like great ingenuity or design work going on here, but maybe you can change my mind. Well, the aforementioned one-hour photo, which I said I could have more or less recreated, I still stand by that because for what it is, it's probably perfect in that you see Robin Williams, which is a draw. He's mm-hmm. looking at film negatives. And it's one hour photo. I mean, it probably tells you plenty. It doesn't give you any idea of the overall theme or uh, the nature of this movie, but. Yeah, I was thinking, like, if you looked at this poster and didn't know anything about the movie, mm-hmm. Robin Williams is on the poster. He's a recognizable face, but he. It doesn't look like a comedy. No, and it just, it doesn't really give any idea you know, of could just what be like a, a slice of life movie about a guy that's in works at the photo place yeah some like indie drama or something mm-hmm. but you know works. not a not a bad poster i mean it's got like the uh the blown out white background which is indicative of the thing we were talking about his workspace in the movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean i just like the you know the negatives are framing his face and everything i think it's all all pretty successful there yeah, it's not a bad poster overall. Not, yeah. uh, and I even think, like, I don't necessarily think it has to, you know, have a, I don't even, you know, doesn't have to have a gun in his hand or something, <laughs> or, you know, like it yeah. doesn't have to be that heavy handed. So. There's not like a drop of blood on his glasses or something. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think that's good. Um, we got number twenty-three. Mm-hmm. This is very much just like this isn't your normal Jim Carrey movie. Oh yeah, it's they're really trying to push like, oh look how like deeply troubled this man is. Yeah, it's just it's got that very this like mid two thousands font of the number twenty three. It's not quite papyrus, but it might as well be. 
mm-hmm. you know. You know what this poster makes me think of, actually, with like all the writing scribbled all over his face? Mm-hmm. Have you seen the movie Liar Liar? Yes. Do you remember the scene where he's testing his power, like his inability to lie? And so alone in his office, he puts a red pen on the desk and he tries to say out loud, the pen is blue. I don't recall, but I believe you. Well, so the scene is, you know, he's trying to prove to himself that he can't lie. So alone with nobody else around, he puts a red pen down on the desk and he says the pen, he's trying to say the pen is blue, but he can't do it. He's like the pen, this pen is blue, blue, you know, (laughs) and then the scene gets to the point of like complete ridiculousness where he's like wrestling with this pen and then his uh his like secretary walks in and he pops up from behind the desk and he has the pen is red written all over his face and that's what this reminds me of yeah (laughs) just him with the pen is red written all over his Mm -hmm. face good call i don't particularly like anything about this poster it's just a close-up of a guy's face with a bunch of scribbles all over it um I mean, it I gets mean, across the vibe of the movie, I suppose. It's, but yeah, it's, Jim Carrey is obsessed with the number 23. Okay. But it is a boring design. Right, for sure. But I can see why some executive is saying that's what we're going with. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Brooks, on the other hand, I'm going to say this is the official poster, but I don't think I've ever seen it before. Um, I'm a little more familiar with maybe like the DVD packaging, which is, again, just another like kind of close-up of Kevin Costner. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, I've definitely seen this image before. I was familiar with this, yeah, when I, uh, when I first saw it. Not for me, but I mean, it's not bad. I mean, it's, it puts across uh, he's hiding something. It's yeah. So the basically, boxes, the poster yeah. is like a bust shot of Kevin Costner, and so imagine he's wearing glasses and he's like reaching up to like grab one of the lenses and like adjust his glasses on his face, but then it's almost like somebody cut out a square of like one of his eyes and shifted it to the side. And you see, I guess that's William Hurt underneath. You don't see enough of him to tell if that's him, but underneath it's all red. Mm -hmm. I don't know. This doesn't do a whole lot for me. It just feels like somebody who had to do this design, taking it too literally. Yeah. I mean, they go for the, it's overly sinister, you know? Yeah. And just even like, I don't know. If it was his hand removing like that square of the picture or something, mm-hmm. I feel like I might even like it like it better. But it literally, like the way his okay. hand is up, like behind where the photo, like the the square of the picture is moved. Yeah, right. Like it looks like it's supposed to be him moving the the square of the picture, but it's not. Well, I see it's, what you're saying. Yeah, they should have had his hand pulling out the square, not just like someone cut out a square. Yeah, I, yeah, I just don't, I don't know. It's it's weird. I don't. That's a good uh, catch. I agree. I don't. I don't really dig it. No, same me. I mean, it's pretty easy. I'm gonna. I would say, uh, win our photo. It's the winner here. Yeah, um, it's indicative of the film without being just like a stupid stereotype, like the number yeah. twenty three. <laughs> right. And then Mr. Brooks. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. It's just like trying to do something. Yeah, I guess it's just like you know. Typically, it would just be the picture split down the middle with Kevin Costner on one side and William Hurt on the other side. But this guy Uh was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something a little different. There we go. The man who has everything has everything to hide. Mm. Mr. Brooks. Mm. Yeah. Pass. Agree. Millsy. Yep. It's about that time. Mm -hmm. Pretty sure I know how this is going to go. Oh, I'm ready for this one. Hit it. No second guessing here. No. 
uh, I am going to buy me a big old chunk of one hour photo. Mm. Actually, actually enjoy this movie quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, once had it on my shelf and I would be proud to have it there again. I thought for sure, because I really had a recollection of hating Mr. Brooks and just like hating how generic it was. I went into this rewatch of these three movies thinking I was going to burn Mr. Brooks and borrow the number 23. But man, the number 23 is just a, just a slog, just like a, it's just hard to get through and just makes me angry thinking back on it now. (laughs) It's just like not an enjoyable movie. It's just so like dreary and it is just boring. Yeah. For something that could like, you know, something could be interesting there. Yeah, but you they could do, do ev- something really cool with that sure. premise of like obsession yeah. with that number. They go out of their way to make it boring. Yeah, it's just convoluted and just kind of ugly a lot of the time. And the stuff with the the story within the story in the book gets mm-hmm. really uninteresting. And yeah, so I am going to burn the number twenty three. And while I don't like mr brooks um i feel it's the lesser of two evils it's like a generic watchable movie Mm -hmm. it it whereas the number 23 is just like a chore to get through so that's my borrow is mr brooks oh milsey we agreed again (laughs) yeah not too surprising pretty cut and dry i i mean just i really i don't it's like mean to say whatever Number 23 is worthless. It's not worth watching. Yeah. I would at least... Mr. Brooks, I still like Kevin Costner and William Hart playing off each other. So that that makes it firmly fall in the borrow category. Man, just imagine a version of Mr. Brooks where you didn't have the subplot with Dane Cook and you didn't have the subplot with uh, Demi Moore and you didn't have the subplot with the daughter. Mm-hmm. And instead of like, you know... Four percent of the screen time being Kevin Costner and William Hurt playing off one another. It was more like forty percent of the screen time was yeah. that. Like, imagine yeah. if they were like the main characters. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And it was actually, and if, if it was actually like um, Kevin Costner like fighting it more throughout the movie, mm-hmm. and then giving in or something. I mean, although I will say that one thing that I kind of appreciate about the. Uh, the relationship between Kevin Costner and his inner demon, William Hurt, in, in the movie, is that it's not just a straight-up, like, like uh, angel and demon on the shoulder thing. Mm. It's almost like Kevin Costner is just sick of putting up with William Hurt. And there are times where they get along, where, like, they laugh together, or, like, one of them makes a joke and the other one laughs at it, or one of them, uh, like, compliments the other one when they realize something. Like, I kind of like that, where it's like they've lived together for so long that Kevin Costner, like, sees some of the positives in it, like, while wanting to distance himself from, like, his dark side because, you know, killing people is bad and you could eventually get caught. Right. And, like, uh, William Hurt makes fun of Kevin Costner for going to AA meetings to try and cope with his serial killing addiction or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. if that was the primary focus of the movie, I think it could have been much more enjoyable. Like, center it around Mr. Brooks and his uh, inner demon, and then pick any one of those other three subplots and make the movie about that. Yeah. Not like all three it. of them. I must agree. 
And have Uwe Boll direct it. Ooh. <clears throat> Reel that bomb back in. <laughs> Actually, maybe. Who, who knows? Maybe he could have made a great Mr. Brooks. I don't know. I highly doubt it. Sure. Have you ever seen a Uwe Boll movie? Ooh. Maybe. <laughs> Uwe Boll episode coming uh, up. Uh, what have I done? <laughs> uh, yeah. Let us move forward, Millsy. Okay. Uh, what are we going to watch next, Dex? Is it about that time? I think it is. How many, what's the numbers here? Give me the uh, numbers. We have, at the current time, 192 themes to choose 192. from. 192. Okay. LZ. Mm-hmm. 102. 102. We broke the hundreds again. <laughs> Next episode, we are going to be watching the theme... APNY. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, abbreviations, maybe not our most clever uh, title for a theme, no, but, um, but very, very fitting. You know, it'll do in a pinch. I've seen um, zero of these movies. I've seen one of them. Ha, so. perfect. I'm always looking forward to an episode here and there where uh, I. Uh-huh. Uh, we're more than uh, not our first time watches. <laughs> All so. right, well, there we go. Yeah, APNY. Uh, that could be almost anything, but uh, I'd love to hear what people think it is. Yes, please. <laughs> Give so. it your best shot. Yeah. Um. Well, one out of three ain't bad, I guess, on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. That's the way the cookie crumbles. It's funny, though. I came up with this theme. I, I did it to myself, and I went in knowing I always liked one of them and didn't like the other two, and that holds mm-hmm. true, so I have no one to blame but hey. myself. Hey, man. I can still dig it. <laughs> well, now they're out of the way, and I never have to watch Mr. Brooks or the number 23 again, mm-hmm. so I guess that's a positive. Well, hey, now we know. Yeah, I have reaffirmed that they're bad, and <laughs> right. from now on, I will know, yeah. thanks to this show, that... Uh-huh. Uh, if I ever feel like watching the number 23 again, I'll just be like, you yeah. know what? Let me re-listen to episode 19 of Triple Threat Theater. Mm-hmm. And Very quickly. Talk You'll remember why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, well, Dax, until uh, next time, mm. I think it's time to sign off. Indeed. So for the 19th episode of Triple Threat Theater, my name is Ryan Miller. And I'm Manny Secrets. <laughs> ah. <laughs> ah. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Manny's secrets. (laughs) Oh, 